Welcome to episode 156. Are you able to identify with the feelings you're having or where they're coming from at any given time? Particularly the ones that, well, don't feel so great. It's a skill that is seldom taught in homes simply because so few people have these skills. Maybe you or someone at home just reacts to things and you don't really know why or when it's coming or what's going to happen or you come home from work and roller coaster through a certain emotional outburst that seems to happen on a regular basis. It probably leaves you feeling like you're not in the driver's seat of your own body, your own emotions or your own life. If any of this feels familiar, then you've landed on the right episode because we talk to an elite athlete about transforming herself, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. And as we dubbed it in this episode, simply growing up and being an adult. This is a great conversation with some profoundly personal shares, and I hope that you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I'm glad you've got me back in your ears again for another great episode, another great conversation, and another legendary guest. Before we get stuck into it, the year isn't quite over yet, and so it's still my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be their healthiest self before the end of December 2021. Okay, it's time. On today's show, we've got some Australian podcast royalty with the host of the Roll With The Punches podcast right here with me, Tiffany Cook. Tiffany started off hustling in the corporate world until she decided to say, stuff it, threw in the towel and just casually took up professional boxing. And across the next few years, became a champion boxer and accumulated a few title statuses as well. She's obsessed with the why of human performance and discovering how we can empower ourselves physically and mentally to reach our highest potentials in spite of, and perhaps even give thanks to, the adversities and challenges that life throws at us. Now, I said this is podcast royalty, right? Because there's two massive shows that Tiffany is a part of. She's the co-host on the mic with The You Project with Craig Harper and her own huge show, Roll With The Punches, which I've been lucky enough to be a guest on a few times. And she's here with us today, Tiff. How are you doing? Mate, my favourite, one of my favourite guests. How are you? <laughs> well, you flatter me. Thank you. I'm good. <laughs> I've just been trying to get really good at what I do so I'd, so I'd get a, an invite onto your show and here I am. I must have achieved some greatness along the way somehow. <laughs> oh, please. It says you. <laughs> so... Um, I love the quote that's on a lot of your stuff and that you say on heaps of your episodes, which is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Um, I absolutely love that. Where did that come from? <laughs> Look, I don't think it ever came from me, but I very much agree with it. And I've worn a few of them along the way, which have knocked a few plans out of my out of my awareness or maybe into my awareness, should I say. Um, was that an Ali quote? It was Ali, wasn't it? Let's Google it. <laughs> I mean, I should know. I should know. <laughs> yeah, I hear you talk about it a lot. But um, I guess what are some of those things that happened that made you think that that had relevance, that quote? Well, I jumped in the boxing ring at 29 and that was definite. It was a metaphorical and a physical punch <laughs> yeah. in the face. And that, honestly, the metaphorical punch in that face that that gave me repeatedly and over a long period of time <laughs> knocked all plans out of existence. So I was 29, signed up, all gung-ho, 
mouthy little former Tasmanian in the big city of Melbourne just going, yeah, I'm going to do another big thing, you know, just basically being a show off. <laughs> and so I signed up for this 12-week boxing challenge. Mm-hmm. Get stepped out from the ergonomic chair from behind my corporate desk <laughs> into the, <laughs> the into most the- unergonomical <laughs> thing you can do: getting punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'll have a crack at this. So we did this eight-week challenge. Oh, sorry, eight-week. The first one was a twelve-week challenge, and mm-hmm. we trained. Uh, I think it was three or four times a week, and at the end of it all registered as a professional fighter and put on a, a, a show, a big black tie event, all the bells and whistles. This one was aired on Foxtel. So it was it was full on. Yeah, that and, is huge. Yeah. And you kind of, I feel like 12 weeks is a long time, but it's kind of when you face enormous things, you kind of get, you just get wheeled along and then next minute it's over. Yeah. And then I feel like two years were over and so a lot of the learnings that I w- would talk about, really, they happened over probably more of a two-year period. There were mm-hmm. definitely things that landed straight away. So 12 weeks, we step in, we start getting punched in the face. So I was like, oh, dear. I'd told everyone. I'd sold tickets. I'd sold two tables of $250 tickets. I was like, everyone, I'm fighting and you're coming to watch. So <laughs> me and my big mouth were straight at work. That was our plan. <laughs> and... um. <laughs> I remember, I don't know how long in, but we started doing some uh, some drills where we learned defence. Mm-hmm. Now, never a strong point, never became a real strong point. <laughs> yeah. But we're basically standing in front of our training buddy and we've got our gloves up and we're learning how to, we're floating our hand out to, to punch the other person on the face so that they can learn to bring their glove up and block the punch, you know, pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point, I vividly remember this point because the fear shot through my body because I couldn't. I couldn't keep my head forward and I had a knot in my throat and I was on the verge of tears and I was thinking I can't keep my eyes open, my head forward, and that's not even a real punch. That's just a glove floating in control towards my face and I still can't control my emotions. So it was really confronting and it was mm-hmm. at that point where I went, what am I going to do? I've told everybody. I've told everybody. Like there's, how, how am I going to fight if I can't even do this? But, you know, you keep turning up. So I kept turning up and I kept wearing the punches and I remember getting into the ring on the night of the fight on one hour sleep because I'd had, I'd was, I think that's the first time I remember being introduced to anxiety. Still didn't know what it was, but it kept me <laughs> awake for the entire night. I bet it did. Yeah, and I said that whole day, I said, I will never, ever, ever in my life do anything like this. There's nothing in the whole wide world that could be worth what I have been through today. Nothing. And I and I'm anyway, the day went as quick as that 12 weeks feels like it went went even quicker. Next minute I'm getting tapped on the shoulder. I'm watching the first fight. My mate's fighting in the first fight. It was her second time doing this event and she wins. So of course I'm like, yeah, we're we're winning. I'm gonna win too. But then they hand her the microphone, right? In front of a thousand people, they hand her a microphone and she gives a speech and she's got TV cameras in front of her. And I was like, there is no way I can speak. So then I didn't want to win. So now I'm ha- I'm anxious about the fight. Then I'm also anxious about they're going to hand me a microphone and there's thousands of people here or there's a thousand people here. Terrifying. And then next minute I'm whisked away and they've thrown gloves on my hand and they've turfed me into the boxing ring and my Eminem songs playing. I can't remember what it was called, but, but it was a nasty song and it was awesome. <laughs> 
And then the fight was over and my hand was in the air and far out. Maddie, it changed my life. Did you win that first one? I won that first one. I won it in the second oh. round. Didn't even Whoa. get three rounds out. Knockout. Technical knockout. Technical knockout. Technical yeah. knockout. I had no idea. Like I'm, I'm standing there and people start cheering and I'm looking around going, what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's amazing. Mate, you've won. <laughs> 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 but I remember having a shower and getting dressed and watching the other fights and I remember standing in front of the ring watching fights and processing in my mind and just thinking this is this was pinnacle for me because this changed me from that point forward. This is everything in life. Like that was over. For me that was about four, about four minutes in mm-hmm. there and it was over and it was done, and only I went through it. Everyone else just saw something happen. They had not, like I had felt yeah. something to a level that was beyond anything I'd ever felt. All of the uh, yeah, the fears and the anxieties and the excitement and the achievement, it was all come out in these emotions in a, like, bloody hell. And I just mm. thought this is every goal. If I have a business goal, 12 weeks to four minutes. It took 12 weeks of discomfort. It took 12 weeks of inner critic. It took 12 weeks of knowing I was the, knowing, knowing and believing I was the worst in that gym. It took 12 weeks of going when I was tired, of not going out drinking with friends. Like I used to go out every weekend and would go for drinks. I used to go out with my dad a lot for dinner because he lived over here mm-hmm. and I'd always have a glass of wine. And I remember how weird it felt for me. I was like, what's the point of going out for dinner when I'm not, when I can't have a wine? Yeah. And like everything that I knew was changed. Every decision I made was changed. I have to go to bed early. I have to get good sleep because I'm recovering because I'll be sore tomorrow and I've got to go back there and I have a bad, bad training session. You've still got to go back. So there was all this discomfort and all this change. And for the sake of four, a four minute yeah. moment. And that just cha- changed me because I'd never thought of, I'd never processed life like that. Mm-hmm. Question. Yeah. If you, retrospectively, if you didn't win, did you think you'd be sitting here saying that sentence? Yep. Okay. Yeah, because I think for me it was it was the feeling of, I've got goosebumps right now when I think, when I think of that terror that I felt <laughs> and that it was the fact that I got up and got in the ring and did the thing anyway even though I was terrified of it and I didn't yeah, right. die. You know, like the punches don't hurt. It's all just over. Like things happen and you see how you can you, you control yourself in those moments. And that was, it was just doing something that terrified me and it yeah. terrified me. Yeah, yeah. What you're saying reminds me of a Jordan Peterson quote and a lot of this stuff reminds me of Jordan Peterson. But he says, it's not that you get less scared, you just get braver. Yes. And every fight was the same. Like even when I would go and watch amateur fights after that and I'd have teammates or, or friends fighting, the waves of, you know, excitement and then you're like, oh, what a roller coaster. Or, you know, the days that you're fighting and you're sitting there waiting for your fight and it's like, no, nah, I'm cool, I'm cool. And then two minutes later it's like, oh, it's hit me, oh, it's hit me. It's like, a, it's like someone's just like injecting <laughs> some drug inside you that's like happy drug terrified and they're just like play physically throwing your emotions to the very top to the very bottom 
Yeah. That never leaves. <laughs> no, I and I kind of get it. I did a bit of boxing earlier in my life and my family's full of boxers, but also I was a almost an elite level swimmer training 15 times a week and yeah, you train for like, you know, my whole high school life for like a minute like a race that lasts a minute. Like yes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you just kind of forget it and it's interesting too hearing you talking about all the lessons in that 2 years because it happens so fast and so much changes that you don't really realize lessons have happened until you look back and you're like, "Oh, I learned a thing." Yes. Like I'm I'm doing things differently and I didn't even know because it was just the pace was so quick. Mm. I became so passionate about I became passionate about teaching it and becoming a boxing coach. But because of the stuff that happened outside the ring, and I didn't realise till years later, but I always laugh because I look back and go, in that period of time, those first years, I was prioritising only boxing. Like it was my mm-hmm. thing. I loved it. I wanted to. I, I was dedicated, hardworking and fit. You know, they were the, mm-hmm. they were the reasons that I went. I definitely wasn't talented. I did, I, my skills weren't amazing, but I would show up and I would work real hard and I was tenacious. and. I would prioritise it over work. I did enough work to get by, but work didn't have my Mm -hmm. mental attention ever. But what's funny is when I look back over those first two to three years, the evolution of me as an employee into a business person, um, the evolution of me personally just as a a human, Mm -hmm. all evolved, right? Because what you feed your mind and body, not just in food but in information, behaviour and the people around you. And, of Mm -hmm. course, those things all took a massive change for me. All of a sudden I'm around different people and I'm putting myself in different situations and the thing that that really landed with me was watching when you can get into a – I love sport for this – is you've got this – it's like a physical playground, it's like having it's like having yourself as a kid that you can put in a playground and watch who is that person really and that's what i yeah. saw in the boxing ring it was like who am i really besides the book because there was a lot of bullshit like i had a lot of bullshit that i wasn't even aware of and <laughs> all of a sudden it was you know when you're in a fight or flight environment you can't you can't think and act because your subconscious has already acted if you're shit scared when someone throws a punch, you can't put on your macho and go, I'm not scared. Like you've already ducked and cried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when someone yeah, hits you, you'll either throw a punch back or you'll back away. And those mm-hmm. things will happen instinctively. And so boxing's all about training your instincts. So over that period of tr- time of being able to change the way that I reacted in situations and gaining control over that was mm-hmm. enormous. Like what a lesson. Oh, what a massive lesson. And I'm I'm really curious to ask because I know that you're, you know, you talk a bit about um, you know, resilience and becoming the per, you know, becoming a better version of yourself and you're telling it you're t- sort of walking us through that journey now. But what do you think was the thing that took you from this is my life now to I'm going to sign up and do this thing? Like were you in a job that you hated? Because I'm sure there's heaps of people listening, right, that are in a job they hate, they're in a marriage they hate, they're in a life situation they hate. Like what was that that tipping point for like something needs to change and it's going to be this boxing thing or it's going to be whatever it is for other people? I'd love to say, <laughs> I'd love to follow your lead on that and say, oh, you know, I was there was this decision point but I really mm. it was all I identify with was this opportunity to... Again, 
continue wearing a mask that looked good and do something mm-hmm. that would get attention, right? Mm-hmm. So let's do something girls don't do. Girls yeah, don't right. get in the ring and fight. So I'll do it because I want everyone to be like, oh, Tiff's crazy. Look what Tiff's doing. <laughs> tiff, 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 Tiff. <laughs> you know, and it was it was me wanting to be a version of something different. You know, I wanted to be mm-hmm. seen in a, speci- in a very specific way and I didn't realise at the time it was just me being me. It was, you know, like, oh, this will be mm-hmm. fun. I remember saying in the early days to people, everyone that does these fights has issues. Have these issues, right? They've got these. They've got these tipping points. They've got. Mm-hmm. They've had drug addictions, or they've had marriage breakdowns, or they've had. There's, or they've got mental health problems at the moment. And I, and I was like, I feel like I'm the only person that's just here to do it for fun. You know, <laughs> Tiff's just here doing it for fun. So detached from reality, really. Like so, yet to learn what was driving my behaviours. Mm-hmm. But I just remember that, and it's so funny to look back now, and I'm like, oh, mate. Were you in for a ride, young Tiff? Were you in to do a little bit of learning about you? <laughs> so, so can we go there? Like, can we peel that onion? What, did, what, what was the thing? If you were noticing all these sort of deficiencies or problems with everybody else in this environment, um, and a lot of people talk about elite athletes or elite entrepreneurs as you know they're addicted to the the dopamine hit in their brain or whatever it might be. When you peeled that onion for yourself, that shit that you're talking about, <laughs> that you learned, what was it? What was the driver? Well, I guess the, the things that started to get my attention were what I didn't, I was starting to realise everyone thinks this is terrifying and why, why aren't I terrified of a punch in the face? Oh, you're so <laughs> brave, you're so this, you're so that. And yeah, like that, I thought I was. Like I, I spent my my youth being sure that I was going to be someone and becoming someone and someone who I really believed was and is independent and strong and Mm -hmm. worthy and decisive and, you know, like really, really just courageous. And, you know, and I was in the boxing ring too, but I was, I remember just starting to think, if I'm not scared of that, what am I scared of? Like what (laughs) are other, what that doesn't hurt me. What hurts me? And then at the same time, you know, over this period of time, so I was 29 when I started and it was the next couple of years I was doing amateur fights and I was finding that I would go for walk. I remember going for walks in St Kilda and like I was just exhausting myself. I'm working a full-time job and I'm just training all the time and I'm loving it but I'm always busy. I've always been super, super busy and I would start mm-hmm. to I'll go for a walk and I'd feel really exhausted and then all of a sudden I've these memories would pop into my head and I would be walking along St Kilda Road bawling my eyes out and I'm like, oh, what am I even crying? I didn't even know what I was crying about. So I was getting these emotional overwhelms. I was I was like, what is going on? But I was noticing that when I was too tired to be active or too tired to, tired to train and I, and I needed to be still, stillness was quite terrifying. Stillness was alone and empty and stillness was seeing myself. And I was like, oh, well, we're not getting any younger. I mean, when you hit your 30s, it's probably not really the time to be ju- beginning an elite sport like boxing. <laughs> and, <laughs> Says over- who? and overtraining and, you know, trying to have a full-time job and do all of the things. So yeah. there's this realisation that was like, oh, when I'm still, I can't be busy like this forever. So I'm going to have to start facing things. And like I said, I- I'd started thinking about those memories. Now, I had... When I was a child, I had been sexually abused for quite a few years. 
and right. I'd never told anyone and I'd never really acknowledged it ever again. Mm-hmm. Kind of popped in a little black box the back of my mind and I'm like, that, I'm very good at making things never happen. <laughs> that yeah. never happened. And yep. I remember walking and I would all of a sudden I was like visualising running into this person and I was feeling quite angered and bothered by it. And I was like, oh, I wonder why this is, what's this coming up for? This didn't come mm-hmm. up before, hasn't come up. And so I remember my, I had a friend that was a clinical psychologist and I was like, so hypothetically, if this happened to a kid. <laughs> friend of a friend. <laughs> this happened to a kid and, you know, and, and now they were an adult, like, would that be right? Because I'd Googled. I'd Googled what, you know, what is, what is the, what are the traits of an adult survivor of childhood mm. abuse, sexual abuse? And a lot of the traits, I was like, oh, right. Oh, that, our oh, strength and independence. No, that's not what that thing is. That's actually mm-hmm. fear of vulnerability. You're mm-hmm. not strong. You're you're terrified, yeah, and you're was, wrapping it up in a little bow that says super strong. Yeah, I was going to touch on that before. Like um, resilience and denial can easily get confused with one another. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know that in the boxing ring, there were there were traits that was that were fantastic for me that came from that, and they're traits that uh, that I'm very grateful to have. Right. So I think that even out of the the shittiest times, really good stuff comes. And that it was funny because that smacked me in the face. I remember at some point doing some journaling really early about it and, and the situation. And I remember halfway through a sentence writing about him and and actually my hand just writing, actually I think that I should even thank him because I would never be this driven mm. and, and I, I'd recognised my strength and tenacity and and I'd never hand that back. So that was a, a big realisation for me. It was like, all right, what's next then? You know, like it was, yeah. I, know, I think we can, we can take, you have to take, you have to work on the negatives, obviously. You have to, you have to, but there's got to be a balance. And I, I don't think that, I don't think I spent a lot of time being really angry about it. I just mm-hmm. realised that it had changed me profoundly into someone mm. who I hadn't realised and it had disconnected me from mm. my own emotions, strength in the boxing ring, super strength. Like I remember uh, in maybe when I was training for my second or third fight thinking I'd love because I'm a Taurus, right, so I've got quite mm. the flight here. I'm also an activator <laughs> in epigenetic terms, so I'm quite the You know, the ability to fly off the handle and, you know, like lose it, great mm-hmm. at especially used to be, you know, quite reactive. So I used to think, oh, you know how strong you feel when you're pissed off? Yep. (laughs) I would think if I could get like that in the boxing ring, I would knock someone out. But it was never, I could never access it. I never access any emotions to -hmm. what was happening in there. It was quite mechanical really. And Mm -hmm. and I had a poker face. I remember once we were doing a drill some training, and I said to the trainer, I've got nothing, I've got nothing left. And he's like, Really? You don't even look like you're trying. But the way he said it, I was like, Oh, he, re- I don't show anything, mm-hmm. any emotion, or so like it's a vault. Yeah. And for a boxer, that's a, that's a great thing, right? So I had a three year break after in 2015, I'd started coaching. And I hadn't mm-hmm. competed for three years. And in 2019, so what felt feels recent, but 
we've lost two years. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a long time ago. But 2019, I went back to my initial coach, mm-hmm. excuse me, and we and I decided to fight again. So I had three fights that year. But the, fir- the thing I thought, and I thought this when I went for therapy in between. So I had three years of doing some therapy and working on my staff. And mm-hmm. I thought, who... Who's, who am I going to be in the boxing ring now that I've done this work on the ability to yeah. access emotions? And yeah, have you downloaded that charge that works for you in the ring? Yeah. And um, and I remember the first sparring session. So I go into this sting gym in Dandenong, um, not many females there, all dudes. It was dark. It felt dingy. It was – and there was a pro boxer, John, and he's a southpaw that switches stance, hits like a freight train. He hits like a heavyweight, not a huge guy, but my God, there's not many people that can generate power as freakishly as that guy. Mm-hmm. And everyone was doing like a round robin. So he was getting ready for a fight. So everyone was getting in and doing a round with him. Might have been one or two rounds. And my coach was like, and now I haven't I hadn't sparred for ages anyway. Yeah. And had, <laughs> yeah. So in I hop. And within no time got hit with an uppercut. I thought I'd broken my nose. I was, oh, I was like, there it goes. That's it. It's, that's my nose gone. And then he landed another three of those on that nose, far at it. But it was the first time in my life that I felt exposed and like everybody could see how I felt and that I didn't want to be there. I I was, I didn't want to finish it. Like I did finish the round, but I, and I was like, yep, it's changed. Interesting. Mm. What a transformation. Oh, huge. And there were heaps, you know, over that year of training, there were heaps that had changed in terms of this new, and it's not all bad, like this, I could see this level of self-care that I didn't have before. So before I would walk into anything, do what you want, Mm -hmm. I'll walk into anything and I'll prove it, like I can take anything. And, you know, now it was like, well, I was having a lot of trouble committing to punches and staying in all the time. So I was a lot more hesitant for getting hit. I was a lot more defense driven. Mm-hmm. And also just in, you know, typical training drills, more inclined, like we'll go hard when we need to. But mm-hmm. I remember once I'd cut my eye, I had this little cut on my, and it was quite deep but quite small, right at the very edge of my eye socket. And I was like, oh, it kind of looks like it needs a stitch. It's deep, but it's tiny. And I sort of mm-hmm. left it. But I would go to training the next day and coach is like, all right, jump in the ring with John. And I'm, uh, I've got cut in my eye. I don't, I don't really like, I'm not going to tear my face open for the sake <laughs> of a round of sparring. Fair enough. And no one argues with this coach. No one's, no one's, <laughs> no one's saying no when he says get in the ring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I get the look. <laughs> anyway, he starts doing pad work with me instead, but he's still hitting me in the face. And I like mm-hmm. arced up and I go, I'm like, all right, well, can I put headgear on then? Cause I'm not like, you're, you're tearing my eye apart. Yeah. And that was just something that I, I was like, that's a, that's a new thing to look after myself like, a, like, like a, that. Like a boundary. Yeah. Boundary. <laughs> Hadn't heard word. of those till now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really good. I've never, I've never used that term for it. But yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's that's I think the thing for me. To, there's so much of what you're saying I resonate with. I used to be the guy um, that walked into the gym and there'd be a monthly challenge at the gym. I, you know, when I worked at the hospital, and it'd be like, you know, who can do the longest um, plank or who can do the most burpees? And every day, first day of the month, I'd walk in, yell to the whole gym like, "I'm going to win this!" Like. <laughs> 
every day. And I used yeah. to do the same in swimming, same in boxing, unafraid of everything because I had so much to prove. Yes. Like, and same thing, smashed all of them because, you know, there was there's, losing isn't an option because my ego can't take that. Like, yes. <laughs> oh. So, so I went through a similar journey with the emotional healing and all that kind of thing. And then, yeah, boundaries and like, oh, not doing things and, and saying no to things that I would normally be like, yeah, I'm Maddie Lansdowne. I'm everywhere. Like, you know, and then, at t- you know, at not getting enough sleep and then having all sorts of health issues as a result. And, but, you know, that's kind of private. So nobody sees that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're weak mm-hmm. in private, but out there in the, in the real world, it's thriving. But um, so I totally resonate with this. And boundaries was a big thing for me that I, you know, after a lot of therapy, had the you know started putting in place to protect myself and conserve my energy isn't it interesting though how we build this cope these co- these strategy mm. i remember going home like i i this persona i'd created that i even i believed that's who i was and i just kind of wasn't but it keeps you really separate from everybody else and i, yeah. I remember going home to tassie for christmas once and i said to some like I literally put on this show around family. Like I become Tiff the Entertainer and it, mm. I'm, like it just happens but I was starting to notice and I'm like, why do I do that? Yeah. Why do I carry on like that? Oh, Tiff's here. Woo, yeah, look at me. Like look <laughs> at you, what? You've done the opposite. Like I've spent 10 years achieving the opposite of what I was really yearning for. What I was yearning for was connection and love and worthiness and through my actions and building this persona and just being so busy, I just created disconnection and then I was miserable about it when I finally realised. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. And potentially, you know, it's like you were saying before and I should totally acknowledge you for having the courage to share that kind of personal information that's, um, you know, a lot of people probably have had similar experiences and are really connecting with your story right now. But uh, the other thing is looking into the past and thinking like, yeah, I wouldn't be this person if I didn't end up so disconnected and so lonely and Mm. so isolated and create a persona that was so not me that even I started to be like, what is that? Like, 
you know, and, and without that journey, you might be stuck in limbo for your whole life of like feeling this emptiness, but also knowing you do these things, but n- not enough of the extremes to respond. Mm. Oh, 100%. 100%. It, you know, and I think it was, it was activated again with the pandemic and with the, you know, the changes that happened there. I remember with one of the lockdowns, one of the lockdowns, I didn't get any support. So I'm from the fitness industry. Two years before the pandemic, I'd bought two, bought into two gyms with business partners. Um, and, and then we're shut down. Not ideal. But there was, I think it was the second last one where I wasn't getting any government support. So I was like, oh, hang on. So, but it wasn't the financial side that was like, it, it hit me in my, the, in my, guts I just was like the whole world no one's got you back it just felt like the whole world went you don't matter and what's Mm -hmm. funny is I I recently did an episode I've done a couple of episodes on my show with a clinical psychologist who I mean he was supposed to just talk about his book and it turned into a pretty confronting therapy session oh wow who was that uh Dr Bill Saunders oh yeah I've seen you share some of that stuff on Instagram yeah so I had him on for a second show just recently so one thing he's, he picked up on in the last episode is like me having a big don't matter button. So it was this trigger. Mm-hmm. We are talking about something and I, and I, whatever line of conversation we were having, I mentioned how going through this period of time when I was working, I was living with my mum but I was working and I was maybe 17 or 18 and when I would get home from work, she would be serving tea as they mm-hmm. call it in Tassie, that's dinner, everybody. But if you're in Tasmania, <laughs> that's tea. <laughs> yeah, I, find, I found that when I can move to the Melbourne as well, like from country Victoria, people would be like, tea? Like a cup of tea? <laughs> no, no, the meal at the end of the day, you idiot. Like, who do- <laughs> like what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so she'd be serving up. And if if she wasn't, if it wasn't ready, or even if she messaged me and said, blah, blah's coming around for tea, and so it'll be a half hour later, internal rage for me. Like I remember I would just, I wouldn't even say anything because I knew it was unreasonable. I knew I was an asshole, but I would just go to my room and I would just be so, and I couldn't understand why I felt like that and why I was being such a shit human. But Bill was like, that's your don't matter button. Like that's just, that's just you, you didn't matter in that moment. And mm-hmm. so, and that is when I look back now at, at not having government support, I was like, oh, because I didn't matter. I didn't matter to any, didn't to the government or anybody. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it really opens your eyes to how everybody experiences things differently and why. Like, why mm-hmm. are some people dealing and not dealing? Because we all have these emotional buttons, these triggers that can create totally unreasonable emotional responses that we don't even understand. What do you think the difference is between those types of people that are coping and not coping? Is the, is the difference awareness about people's triggers and buttons and problems? Um, awareness or not awareness? I, I think you can be aware and still have an, a, an emotional response to it. So, mm-hmm. but when you don't, when you're not aware and you don't understand, we we have to deflect and then we make a story up. Like you got to make a story up. Mm-hmm. So I would yeah. find I found. Like I, I had no access to emotions growing up. I didn't like I'd learned to suppress them. You would suppress everything. So when I guess when this emotional energy would rise, I would flip flip it at things. So I would notice as an adult if if that was starting to happen. If 
And things wouldn't process on the day. Things would process three or four days later. Mm-hmm. So this big delay, and I never knew it at the time, but I would just, I would start to get wound up and, you know, I'd be, I would notice when I got really bad because I'd be, I'd walk down the street and, it, you know, I just, even if people glanced at me like normal, like just even just, I would just feel so angry. I'd lose right. it. Yeah. And then I, you know, I'd go to the gym and get my body all wound up, and then I'd burst into tears and cry and go home. <laughs> it was, but I had no idea what was going on. So there was this. I think it was just I couldn't access emotions unless I controlled them. So anger is a really easy one to control because I can turn that into whatever and I can direct it. So that guy's pissing me off. Why? The, mm-hmm. I remember sitting on an exercise bike at the gym once, and I was feeling like this, and I was really wild, and I'm, I'm in tunnel vision because I don't want to be seen. I do not mm-hmm. want to be seen. And then someone, it keeps glancing over, and I, every time I, in my peripheral vision, I see their head turn and them glance at me, I'm getting triggered and angry because I don't want to be seen right now, and they're looking mm-hmm. at me, and I'm like, I want to punch that person in the face. And it's like they actually haven't done anything. They probably just want to say hi. You probably, if you looked at them, you probably recognise them and know who they are or you've probably seen them before and they just want to <laughs> Yeah. Just want to say g'day. You know, that rational part of your brain coming in to negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that often we don't, I mean, I still don't understand everything. Like I now yeah. my awareness means that I get to, question and press pause and unpack things. I still have reactions to things. I've still had things happen where um or or in you know relationships with people, not not intimate relationships, but even just working relationships or friendships where I feel bothered by somebody for and I'm like I'm not sure like there's logically there's I don't really understand what's making me feel like that. Mm-hmm. And so then I've got to wait and I've got to unpack it and I've got to because I know that there's no there's actually there's nothing in the relationship that's gone wrong or there's nothing they've done but there's something underneath and I've got to figure out what that thing is and if until I know my my buttons my I don't matter buttons or my mm-hmm. whatever the buttons are then I can't really can't really resolve it. There's this is bringing up a thought that really helped me in my similar journey in many ways a few years ago, and it took me a few years to truly understand it to my core. But that the idea is that you can't expect others to live by your values. Um, and w- once I fully grasped that, every time I got triggered, I'm I'm just like, oh, they've just got different priorities in life, like. Mm-hmm. And and my my need for that person to be scheduled in my diary because I like organization, you know, or whatever the thing is, um, is that's 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 my story. That's that's yes. what makes me feel safe. And they're doing what makes them them feel safe. And when they get back to me, we'll figure it out. Like or whatever the situation is. But every time I get triggered, I'm rem- I'm reminded like that's not my value system. That's not how I see the world. And but it took me years to actually be able to utilize that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Another thing that Bill pointed out to me, and after after that first episode, and it first really, therapy session. Yeah, the first therapy <laughs> session. Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> was this trust? He's like, people have a trust dial, and the dial goes up and the dial goes down. He goes, you because of your childhood have a trust switch, and it goes on and it goes off. Mm-hmm. And I, I related to that, but I I never. 
really unpacked it. And so now I've seen it play out so much, but there's been times where, you know, I have a friendship and then that friendship might be going through a bit of a rocky time and I'll be totally off. I'll be like, I don't want to have it. I don't even want to see them pop up in my feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm angry, you know, I'm annoyed and I don't even understand why, but the feeling is there. Mm-hmm. And then when it's resolved, when it's just as simple as, hey, I still like you, let's be friends. Like, what are we even, why are we not speaking? Whatever. Yeah. And then it's, I'm, they're back and it's like, I would guard them with my life. If anyone so much as looks sideways the wrong way at them, I will punch them in the face. And it's so, <laughs> I've, you know, there's been times when I've kind of had that happen and I think, are you just two-faced? Like, what is the go with that? You can't just be hot and cold. Mm. But now that I understand this kind of trust dial mechanism that has happened as a result of something, it's it's easier to process and you can understand. You can, we can have feelings that activate our nervous system without, you know, I don't have to, that's not me and my identity. That's my nervous system having a reaction. I mm-hmm. don't have to act in that space now. Mm-hmm. So it it's just, yeah, it's awesome. It kind of opens up. I don't know, being an adult, I guess, Maddie. Well, yeah, to- <laughs> totally. you grown up. <laughs> I know, I know, and I to- that's like literally the way I describe it. Like, and you, and as a man as well, you know, not many men ever get good at their emotions, and you know, it might be the same for most women. But I think as a man as well, you really understand the difference between boy and man when you learn to manage your emotions and like you, you talk to girlfriends or, or guy friends that are dating people and you're like, oh, you're still a boy or you're dating a boy. Like you don't know, you're not, you're not dating a man. If he can't, you know, manage these kinds of, uh, you know, feelings, emotions, identify them. And, and I think it, it really is adulting. Like that's the definition mm. of adulting, emotional, successful emotional management. Yes. And it takes a bloody lifetime, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Well, and that, that leads me to ask. So, like, as an, as an athlete and particularly a boxer, so we're obviously talking, you know, aggression and violence and, and that type of thing, having done this emotional work and sort of reducing the charge and being able to see the world, maybe even move a little bit slower so you can see the parts of yourself and the way the world engages with you and you engage with it, do you feel that that has reduced your capacity to get in the ring and fight like, you know, maybe like an animal or like a savage beast that you were charged up to be before because now you've got like this better understanding of the universe and and maybe you're a little more tranquil in the way that you engage with it? Yeah, well, at the beginning of the year, I turfed the idea of even sparring completely and more, more so from the brain trauma side of yeah. the conversation so and I That's had a I had adult decision yeah very <laughs> adult decision I'd, mm-hmm. I'd started to get annoyed I was at just a mm-hmm. uh just the boxing gym I work at but we did um Friday night sparring and they're all boys and they're not fighters a lot of them aren't fighters so they're heavy and they're not trained to fight so they don't have a lot of experience so they don't know how to control they don't really have the sparring mm-hmm. etiquette so I got belted you know, right. in not 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 here. I mean, when I was fight training, I got yeah, belted yeah. by pro boxers with no mm. pulling back. But when you're fighting someone with skill, that's okay. When I'm getting into the boxing ring and I've got untrained people landing punches with all their might because they think hundred, you know, eighty percent their power and eighty percent my power is fair game. Like, and for a smaller girl, I can land a 
sound, I don't even like saying it, but I can land a decent punch for a mm-hmm. smaller girl. So I think they wear a punch and guys' egos are like, ah, uh, and they don't understand this power-to-weight ratio. So I was getting really annoyed and I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm meant to get pummeled in the head for no, like you, I can't even learn sparring with you because you're not allowing a, a learning environment. Yeah. So that seed was planted and then just, you know, the podcast, I'm talking to neuroscientists and mental health people and, mm. and I specifically did an episode this year with somebody who her studies the neuroscience of concussion and combat sport and mm. that really put the nail in the coffin, which is sad because there's a lot of boxing and sparring and there's a lot that I, that I still just adore in the doing of that. You know, I, I called it my barometer to be able to, to, be able to see yourself in, in – situations like that and understand where am I at, what do I do, how do I, and mm. learning, you know, it's it's powerful still. Yeah, it, it really is. Even, I mean, it's been a few years for me, but just knowing, same thing, like, you know, people look at me and think, oh, look at this rich white boy from Turak. Um, <laughs> and it's good to, to know in the back of my mind that I was raised by, you know, a, an elite. Wolves. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> a, a master's boxing champion and, you know, from a small town from the shittiest country um, school ever where punch-ons every lunchtime were like how I grew up. Um, and just to be like, okay, I'm okay here. I'll be okay. Like I know how to see it all happening before it happens. So I totally get that that level of security. Yes. <laughs> would, you go, would you go to something like BJJ as an alternative or um, something with less impact but more strategy maybe? Do you know what I chose? And it came along Nuts. at the right time. <laughs> what? Darts. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. <laughs> I chose rock climbing. And oh, I'm so keen to get into that I too. Went, That's awesome. I went to, oh, mate, it's amazing. So I've got a mate that does that's done a lot of climbing and I'd started doing some bouldering and he took me indoor rock climbing with the ropes once. And mm. then whenever it was in summer, the sun was shining. He goes, All right, I'm gonna take it to Mount Mass and we're gonna climb up the mountain. I'm like, Oh, all right. So he takes me up. So my second climb, my second rock climb, he throws me up Mount Massanen. We go up and we go down and then we go up again. So, I don't know, he belays me down so he's there, you know, on the rope. I'm all good. We go up the second time. I have to take the equipment off the rocks when I'm going up. So he free climbs and puts the stuff in and then I climb and I take it out. And then we both get to the top and then we're sitting with the top of the mountain and he goes, all right, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to abseil down. So when I get to the bottom, I'll shout out and then you clip this clip onto that anchor and then you abseil down. Now, I've never, like, I'm just at the top going and he's disappeared and I'm thinking, you just gave me a D ring and I've got to get myself off this mountain and no one's here now. Yeah. (laughs) And so all of a sudden... I'm hanging off the side of a mountain. It's not even a, a, a steady descent. There's a big, like there's a, there's all of this structure to the wall. Like there's even a part where kind of the wall disappears. It was just, it was hideous. And I'm leaning back and I'm in control of the the angle that my body is on and I'm in control of how, it, it, oh my, it was terrifying. And it's the first time that I have felt the way I felt in that very first fight. That day, oh, yeah. and that was the fo- that was the feeling that I that I wanted, you know. So it's the the ability to con- control your mind and your body and make decisions mm-hmm. under a fight or flight level of adrenaline. 
Yeah. Oh, it was just amazing. We're sitting at with the, the we went up another part and we're sitting up the top and we had mm-hmm. to wait for an anchor point because someone was going down. And we're sitting at the top completely I'm nestled into a little bit and I'm also clipped onto a safety clip. So, you know, it was like being in a big armchair. And Mario's talking to me and I'm going, I, like, I can't, I can't really have a conversation with you right now because I've got that going on. And it's ridiculous to me because I know I'm sitting on a rock. Like I could be sitting on the ground right now. Like I'm not hanging off anywhere. I'm just because my, but my eyes can't see the mountain. Mm-hmm. We're at the top of the mountain and my eyes can see nothing and then the ground way, 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 way down. And it was so amazing. Like I love getting out of control and then controlling it. So I couldn't control my mind and it was and it mm-hmm. drove me to want to be in that space. It's like why can't I why can't my thoughts tell or whatever's creating this emotion in my body that mm-hmm. actually we're just sitting. Like if I was sitting on the ground looking up at the mountain, I wouldn't feel like this. This yeah. adrenaline wouldn't be pumping into my body. But I'm mm-hmm. sitting up the top. I'm not even doing anything. I could be in a cinema with popcorn next to me the way I'm sitting. <laughs> And my body is just like adrenaline is just pumping out and I can't even hear Mario. I'm like, dude, I can't have a conversation right now. I'm losing it. <laughs> fair enough, fair yeah. enough. But and I totally that, get what you're saying. It's that story the about the future. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that story you've attached to the unknown. It's like of all the possibilities. Yeah. Like what's it going to feel like? What's it going to feel mm. like when I'm on? Like, well, I don't have the answer for that because I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, which I guess is like we when we jumped on the call to start with, you were talking about um, listening to that monk's meditations, right? Which and, and it comes back to that kind of conversation and the art of being present, right? Oh, yeah, got to work on that. <laughs> I think Daddy. we all do. <laughs> That's a lifelong commitment. Hence, monks spend like forty years doing it. <laughs> oh, good, good on them. Far out. It's funny oh. slowing down or pace like that and being present. Definitely, definitely. It's- it should be noted, though, that uh, you did do your hour and a half meditation on 1.5 speed. <laughs> I slowed it down. <laughs> I slowed it down for the meditation. I am. A bit, I know that is testament to how I'm rushing through life and I do need to change that, but I can't listen to a podcast on normal speed. It's always 1.5. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I do, I do the same. Oh, thank God. I thought same I with audio books and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I get annoyed about is if I've got a course or something that's on that. Is it Vimeo where you can't adjust the speed? Oh, I've got an app for you. I've got an app for you that. Do you use Chrome browser? No, but I can if there's. Yeah, so Chrome's just the Google browser, and there's an uh, an extension or a plugin that any video on the screen you can speed up to like three times. Oh, great! Because yeah, that was. Still a bit of a trigger if I have to sit something, sit through something in real time. Well, problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring this up with Dr. Bill in our next session. <laughs> so for people listening into the show, like what are your f- sort of tips, one, two, three, general advice for people that are in the situation where they're like, yep, yeah, I know my life's a bit of a mess, there's chaos or there's feelings within me that I don't know what to do with, where do people start? if not signing up to get punched in the face? (laughs) Look, I am a big believer that doing something physical, get yourself a physical hobby or get yourself a hobby where you can see yourself, something that requires you to be dedicated and to get uncomfortable, something where you grow and you walk away different. So that might be learning a skill, but Mm -hmm. 
you know, it was it was dedication and consistency of those habits and and committing to something that you get up and do so you don't question it. And that mm-hmm. and when you start to get like how you do one thing is how you do everything. So when I started Love doing that. that for the boxing ring, then I start doing that in life and then, you know, all of your decisions play out that way. You just do it. There's no mm-hmm. there's no thinking about will I do this. I did a I did a what's it called? Improv workshop over COVID. Yeah. Weird because I would never do that. But I had a guy on that does improv on my show and and I was like, that's weird. I've never heard of that before. But I did that and he I went to a fir- the first one and I mm-hmm. loved it. It was in a great that's mood. Nice. I was like, all right, signed up for a four week workshop, went to the next one, felt introverted, felt wasn't having fun. I was like oh. If this was the first one, I probably wouldn't go back and do it. But what I but I sat there and thought, how many boxing sessions did you love? Not all of them. <laughs> Not many of them, Matt. Not many of yeah. them. I loved the process and I loved the result and I loved the mm-hmm. everything on the other side of it. I loved the feeling afterwards. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that made me keep going to this course. And that made me keep going in business. And that made me keep mm-hmm. going in, in relationships. And so I think getting a hobby, get dedicated, do the thing and talk if you're holding something inside. Share Mm. it, write it down, get it out, paint it, express it somehow. Yeah. That's been life-changing for me. I've been listening lately to um, sort of Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, you know, successful kind of not podcasts, but just like those YouTube compilations of like, you know, do hard work, struggle. and so. I'm curious, and and this seems to generally, in my experience, at least with clients, um, be like a very either more masculine thing or a more feminine thing, is that when people have like had shitty lives or shitty situations and they're so broken down, the idea of like finding something to struggle on even more, which a lot of the successful people do, they're like struggle, do hard things, hate every minute of it. That's, that's you know, the key to success kind of thing. But then the other side is like the, well, I'm so broken. More struggle is like, that's just the nail in the coffin. Like, do you know what I mean? So how do people like in your experience, like navigate that or choose, am I going to take on that more masculine grit, fight, hunt, destroy kind of vibe and then overcome and, you know, stand on top of the mountain and conquer everything or maybe like the more emotional healing or is there space for both? I love that. I think sp- I think that space for both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, working on your mindset. So if your mindset is like it's funny, I had a podcast the other day where I was saying, I was talking about the childhood stuff and I was like I've had, I had a great childhood and I listened back and I'm like, mate, you didn't, you didn't have a great you didn't have a great childhood. Like that's what the mm-hmm. whole episodes have been about, the fact that it, that it lacked a lot of stuff that you needed. But mm-hmm. I, I, the positives that came were I looked for the, I made it great in my head because I looked, because I focused on the great stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, we don't want to suppress and deny the reality mm-hmm. But we want to be able to look at something and take the good out of it. So I, I look at the great in things. So if you're feeling like all you do is hustle and grind, maybe maybe you need to start uh, asking yourself what the story you're telling yourself is. I mean, when I when the pandemic hit, and I remember saying something great will come of this, and this has been the best year of my life. Now it has been equally as hard. People just don't mm-hmm. see the hard. Of course, yeah. Yeah. But 
the re- but I immediately went to the good. And when adversity hits, I do. But that's not a mistake because I spent the last 30 years training that in the book, deliberately training that in the books that I read and the gratitude journals I wrote down that every time you write it, you think this shit doesn't work. I'm fucking right and thanks for, I'm grateful for this for years. Like this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Ten years later, wow, I think like that. Oh, yeah, right, that's deliberate. I've been doing that. That's, I'm, I built that. So how you think is your responsibility. Like I, I did a post recently, your, tr- your trauma is not your fault but it is your responsibility. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, if you if you've got if you feel like you've got a shitty mindset, you've got to find the balance between self-love and self-discipline. You've got to kick your ass sometimes, but you also gotta you also gotta wrap your arms around yourself and go, it's okay. But either of those done too much is mm. not a good thing. Like slippery, all slippery the self, slope. Yeah, all the self-love in the world ain't gonna get you fit. Yeah, and great like, good habits. It's like in the nutrition world, the idea of intuitive eating. If you go with that every time, you can intuitively eat yourself into cancer and diabetes, and <laughs> you know, oh, like most people intuitively feel like chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> but it's okay sometimes. Oh, I do. You do not want to give me the intuitive eating tick. Oh, yep. Well, <laughs> my friend um, Alex Harvey, she's a she's a money coach, um, and so she talks about the difference. Intuitive is doing what is right, and most people don't think intuitive is actually the the instant response. And the instant response always comes from your ego, and your ego usually doesn't do what's best. Yeah. So intuitive is what's right, not what feels like you need in that minute. <laughs> I love that. Here's something I did just this week, right? Because I realized, like everybody, we think one percent, one percent less for one day won't matter. I feel mm. like I've been doing that for all of COVID, right? So mm. I went for, I've been an athlete and then, you know, this last lockdown I kept saying I just my willpower is a bit empty. Like I'm not enjoying the workouts at home. It's been hard. I'm still doing it but I'm not enjoying it. And when you don't enjoy it, you do it a little bit less. Mm-hmm. But not only do you do it a little bit less, you're not getting the great feel-good chemicals that give, make you do other yeah. behaviours easier. Mm-hmm. So this week I drew up a little graph and I stuck it on my cupboard wall and there were my daily non-negotiables and it's just basically exercise, two litres of water a day, uh, my supplements, reading, uh, meditation and sleep, right, just the staples. But mm-hmm. do you know what's happened is every time I pass the cupboard, like when I get up in the morning and I, and I walk past my wardrobe, I see it. Before I go to bed, I see it. And every time in between, I see it and it – it is a message from me to me saying, remember who you are and what's important to you. I haven't touched. Now, I'm a sugar addict, Maddie. You'll be disgusted. I'm a, I've am got a sugar bloody issues for years and I haven't you touched You say that su- like I'm not a human. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, I, I haven't even wanted any because it's mm-hmm. so ingrained in, no, this is who I am now. Mm-hmm. This is who. This is not just who I say I am. Like I've there. All the things I wrote are things that I would say I do because I believe I do them because I believe in them. I just mm-hmm. was doing them one percent less for five hundred the last five hundred days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one percent compounds. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> That's a whole it does. lot of less. Absolutely. I mean, in the last two years, is pretty unique too. I think a lot of people need to cut themselves a little bit of slack because it's been a really shit time that no one's ever confronted ever. And yeah, some people have you know totally capitalized, and this has been great for them. Mm. Um, but I totally understand what you mean. But it sounds like what you're sharing there is like it, it's no longer just 
practices that you do every day or have done for years, it is part of your identity now. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So, and it takes that it takes that 10 years of journaling for it to happen and and you know we all want quick fixes and you know to lose 10 kilos or to get rid of my trauma or to be a grown up all of a sudden but it takes years yeah That's and maybe the shit news. <laughs> like i think we forget that we're already like things are pretty amazing already and i think that Gratitude. sometimes we just get stuck in the always if we don't know where we want to be we just want to be better and there's no not even any framework around that. what does that even mean Mm, yeah, it it's funny I'm... you say that. I was re- I've been redoing my vision board because um, before I realized I kind of just had this epiphany that like the images and stuff that were on it were really just like general things. Like like there was pictures of healthy food, there was pictures of like beaches, and it wasn't like where is that beach or you know exactly who, who yes. am I ordering the food from? Exactly where am I going to live? And there's no clarity, so you don't feel like you're moving towards anything. And so now I've got. I, I discovered igloo saunas. I want an igloo sauna. There's a picture of an igloo sauna yes. on there. You got everybody Google it. They look awesome. And, <laughs> and just things and just things like that. That's like that is an actual thing. Like yes. there's some clarity and direction. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Bathroom so mirror. Let's go on. I. Write everything. I write my things on the bathroom mirror. Mm. In the start of the year, I wrote, I wrote on that bathroom mirror. I wanted four thousand listens a week on the show, Ooh, and I want. Well, as of five weeks ago, my biggest week was two and a half, and then every That's week awesome since, though. every week since has been over four thousand. It just jumped yes. out of nowhere, right? I also wrote twenty twenty radio and twenty twenty TV, and as mm. I told you. I've got my own Channel 31 TV show coming on for the show and also a little radio gig, you know, small stuff. But I was like, I wrote that and then I didn't go and chase it. That stuff arrived, yeah. out of, you know, out of nowhere, with, especially with the podcast listeners. I was like, oh, oh, we're there. I th- Oh, we're there now. That's and so staying great. there. Yeah. So, damn, I'm all yeah, for, writing, for writing that shit up. Go yeah, and put it on your bathroom mirror, Maddie. Totally agree. And yeah, that's a very good spot to put it. You see it every day. You can't, yep. you know, a lot of people put stuff on the fridge and don't realize that the walk to the fridge is 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 often unconscious. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I know that from working with people with food, like people generally do not see what's on the fridge because they're yes. just like, anyway, and you just open the door, like, but the, the mirror, you're staring at it. Like, <laughs> I'm like trying to get my mascara on in between, you know, the all of the zeros of I the 4,000. I'm a millionaire. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a million downloads a year. <laughs> yeah, that's my December goal. <laughs> Hell yeah. So where yeah. can everybody find you online, find the podcast, all the stuff that you want people to find? Where All the stuff, all the places. So roll with the punches underscore podcast on Instagram and there's a roll with the punches podcast Facebook page. My Facebook personal page is where I do most of my ramblings, which is just under Tiffany Cook. Tiffany with a double E, of course. We like to be unique, us Tasmanians. <laughs> and, yeah, that's where you'll find me, www.rollwiththepunches.com.au. Amazing. And for everybody listening, I will chuck all of the links and everything you need in the show notes below. And if you've enjoyed this episode or got something out of it or you think someone you know will benefit, give it a share. You can chuck it on social media and tag both myself and Tiff as well so we can share it too and see who's checking out the show. Um, Before we wrap up, Tiff, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Oh, I think it's (laughs) – this is contradictory, but (laughs) we shouldn't get rid of sugar. (laughs) 
<laughs> I wish I'd get. I wish I'd listen to that bit of advice. I'm on it now, though. <laughs> it's a challenging journey, that one. But yeah, <laughs> oh, sugar's such a killer. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Thanks, Tiff. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for hanging out. I love that these conversations are always super organic, and we'll definitely get you back soon. Thanks, dude. It's been amazing. See ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.